Saturday, February the 6th, and this is your morning briefing from The Economist. Coming up, America's disappointing job growth and Congress votes on the stimulus. First, the week in brief. America gained just 49,000 new jobs in January as unemployment fell from 6.7% to 6.3%, a meager improvement that showed the continuing impact of COVID-19 on the labor market. Job loss numbers for December, the first month in which employment dropped since April, were revised. The initial loss of 140,000 was raised to 227,000. Both houses of Congress passed a budget resolution including President Joe Biden's $1.9 trillion stimulus bill with votes split along party lines. In the Senate, Kamala Harris, the vice president, had to cast the tiebreaker. The votes set the stage for the package, which is designed to alleviate some of the economic pain inflicted by the pandemic to be passed by budget reconciliation, sidestepping the need for Republican support. The International Criminal Court ruled that it has jurisdiction over Palestine, clearing the way for an investigation into alleged war crimes carried out there both by Israel and Palestinian militias. Because it is occupied by Israel, the ICC had been unclear whether its remit extended to the territory. Israel is not an ICC member. Benjamin Netanyahu, Israel's Prime Minister, promised to protect Israeli citizens and soldiers from persecution. Yu Myung-hee, South Korea's trade minister, withdrew from the competition to lead the World Trade Organization, clearing the way for Ngozi Okonjo-Iweala, a former Nigerian finance minister. The WTO does not hold elections, but relies on a consensus emerging for a candidate. Ms. Okonjo-Iweala already had support from governments in Africa and Europe, but had been rebuffed by America under Donald Trump. Twitter and Instagram were blocked in Myanmar as the army looked to quell growing public opposition to the coup it carried out on Monday. Facebook was banned earlier this week, with generals citing the need for stability. After years of bloody civil war, Libya has a chance of peace. UN-backed talks in Geneva yesterday produced an interim government with the aim of holding national elections later this year. But stability is far from guaranteed. The factions who fought the war have little appetite to give up their gains, and their foreign backers show little sign of withdrawing. And Blackstone and Global Infrastructure Partners teamed up with Cascade, Bill Gates' investment firm, to bid £3.5 billion, $4.7 billion, for Signature Aviation, a private jet servicing firm badly wounded by the pandemic. The two private equity firms had been locked in a bidding war over the publicly listed company. Investors still see potential for growth as the rich shun commercial flights. And now, here's today's agenda. What's my age again? Tom Brady. Jack Nicklaus won his 18th and final golf major aged 46. Martina Navratilova took home the US Open mixed doubles tennis crown at 49. Dara Torres swam to an Olympic silver medal at 41. This weekend, 43-year-old quarterback Tom Brady will aim to defy the passing of time when his Tampa Bay Buccaneers take on the Kansas City Chiefs in the 55th Super Bowl. He will be the oldest player in the history of American football's biggest game and the most frequent to appear. No other player in history has played in more than six, and this will be his tenth. 
Analysts attribute Mr. Brady's longevity to his meticulous control over his health, diet and lifestyle. Here he has most in common with a fellow veteran, Roger Federer, a tennis superstar. But even Mr. Federer has had recent trouble with his knees. Mr. Brady says he hopes to carry on for years to come. Kimchi or coleslaw, Minari After earning accolades at last year's Sundance Film Festival, Minari opens in American cinemas on February 12th. Its director, Lee Isaac Chung, draws from his childhood experiences to craft a film of subtle power that is both a classic life-on-the-farm story and an immigrant tale. A Korean-American family moves to rural Arkansas, where the father, Jacob, hopes to find success as a vegetable farmer. Relationships come under strain as Monica, the mother, questions the practicality of this plan, and their son, David, resists the affections of his grandmother, called from Korea to watch over the children. He wonders why she cannot be a real grandma who bakes cookies and refrains from swearing. With most of the dialogue in Korean, this Oscar contender has sparked a debate over the assumption that English is America's default language. In some ways, the debate reflects this Korean-American family's own struggles with identity. The Ties That Bind – Dress Codes It is never just about fashion, argues Richard Ford of Stanford Law School. Published next week, Mr. Ford's book, Dress Codes, explores the way clothing has been used throughout history to reinforce social hierarchies and maintain political control. As Cosimo de' Medici of the powerful Renaissance-era Tuscan clan once remarked, one can make a gentleman from two yards of red cloth. Laws in Tudor England stated that only nobles could wear more luxurious fabrics, such as silk or velvet. The New World inherited the Old One's desire for hierarchy. In 18th century South Carolina, a law prohibited black people from dressing above their condition as slaves. And dress codes still play a role today, albeit inversely. In Silicon Valley today, some venture capitalists refuse to invest in any company run by someone in a suit, a new variant of clothing prejudice. An entertaining read, dress codes shows how fashion can both reflect and shape society. Keep it down, the ocean grows noisier. On a calm day, the ocean can seem almost silent, but to its inhabitants, it is never quiet. Its natural orchestra spans the swish of kelp forests and the grind of undersea plates. But according to new research published in Science, a journal, human activity both pollutes and silences the ocean's soundscape. Modern shipping, undersea construction, pile driving and even aeroplanes exert a profound sonic impact on Earth's largest ecosystem, wearing upon many sea creatures. In some places, though, humans make the ocean quieter. Hunters have deprived the world of much of its whale song, and with coral reef erosion, the burble of many species vanishes. The authors say that even with existing policy, advancing technology makes it entirely possible to mitigate oceanic noise pollution. They argue that less aural disturbance is essential to sustaining healthy marine life. After all, sound travels further in the water, and no one likes a racket in their home. Finally, here's the quote of the day from Aaron Burr, who was born on this day in 1756. Never do today what you can put off till tomorrow. 
delay may give clearer light as to what is best to be done. That's it from The Economist Morning Briefing, available every weekday and on Saturdays. You can hear interviews and analysis from our journalists, including our current affairs podcast, The Intelligence, by searching for The Economist on your podcast app or asking your smart speaker to play the latest Economist radio podcast. And as a subscriber, you have access to each week's full edition in audio. Just download The Economist app on your mobile device to start listening.